Welcome to our elders Q&A. This has been an annual tradition, at least according to my file, since 2011. Uh, it's a time for you to ask questions about um, our church, uh, about uh, leadership, about where we're going, about where we are as a church. Um, so we're really glad you're with us tonight. We're thankful that you take the time, uh, especially on this rainy evening, to come out and uh, uh, ask questions of your leaders and uh, hear them answer some of those questions. Um, let me see. Let me invite our elders up. We'll sit down here and get this started. If our elders would join me up here, and I'll run through a little bit more about uh, what we plan to do tonight. Uh, like we usually do at one of these, we have two halves to this. Uh, in the first half, Scott Minema, our Minister of Community Groups and Counseling, he's going to moderate some questions that you all have submitted. Uh, we'll give about half our time to questions that you've written in. Uh, and then in the second half, we'll set Asher Gryffindor loose. I'm sorry, it's just Griffin, not Gryffindor. Um, <laughs> pastor, or our Minister of uh, Theological Training, He'll, he will... Uh, Go loose on the floor with a microphone and see what questions you have on your mind, either that you just brought in through the doors this evening uh, or perhaps came to mind as we were answering questions uh, in the first half. So let me introduce our elders to you, or rather have them introduce themselves to you. Uh, how about each guy just um, share your name, uh, your role at Desert Springs, how long you've been in that role or at the church, and then any family matters you want to share with everyone. Yeah, so Tim Bradley, I'm the pastor of Children and Family Ministry. I've uh, been on staff for 13 years, an elder for 11 of those years, and Marcy and our kids and I have been members of the church for more than 20 years. Cool. Yeah. My name is Tim Hickman, and uh, I'm not yet an elder. I'm being elder, uh, appointed as an elder, Lord willing, this coming Sunday. Yeah. Uh, we've been at um, Desert Springs for about five and a half years. My wife and I have uh, eight children, six girls, two boys, and uh, love Desert Springs Church. Great. My name is Ron Giese. I'm the administrative pastor here, the executive pastor. We've been here 10 years and got one wife, three kids, and five grandchildren, hopefully a few more in the next few years. <laughs> I'm Peter Art. Uh, Married to my wife, Annette. We've been uh, sojourning through life for uh, 37 years together. We've got uh, three grown kids, and uh, we have one more grandkid than Ron does. We have six. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, nine years, I think, we've been uh, at DSC, and uh, it's been a, a blessed time. Um, I'm a non-staff elder. Uh, looking forward to welcoming Brother Tim Hickman on board this coming Sunday. And I'm Ryan Kelly. I'm the preaching pastor here at Desert Springs. Been at that since four, for 14 years now. And uh, I have a wife and three kids at home and one away at college. Uh, so with that, why don't we have Scott Minema join us. Where's Scott? Scott, why don't you introduce yourself? Anything more you want to add than Minister of Counseling and Community Groups for less than a year? No, I think that... Family matters? Yeah. Family details? Uh, Wife Janelle, we've been in uh, been at Desert Springs now for about eight months, and uh, are delighted to be here. We have four four children, and uh, they're all grown. Two are married, and uh, we're way behind these guys on grandkids. We have one on the way, Lord willing, that's due in December, so that'll be number one. 
Scott, why don't you pray for our time together and then you can get started yep. in, in asking us questions. Let's pray together, shall we? Our Lord, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for bringing us together. Lord, we recognize the rain is a gift of your grace. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness in our life. We thank you for your faithfulness in, in the life of each and every person that's here, how you have demonstrated your, your great faithfulness over time and space and, and in every one of our lives. Lord, we thank you for the blessings that you have given Desert Springs. We thank you for this church. We thank you for the testimony of uh, Desert Springs in the community and beyond. Lord, we recognize that it is not of any person's doing, but it's of your doing. And Father, we, um, we ask for your help tonight. We ask that you would go before these men, that um, you would give them um, wisdom as they, as they answer these questions that have been submitted. Lord, in all of this, we want to glorify Christ. We want to make much of, of him tonight. So, Lord, we ask for your help. We commit our time now to you. In Christ's good name, amen. Well, you ready to get started? Let's do it. All right. Ryan, we're going to start, probably give you a couple of questions. We've been discussing for the last couple of weeks the keys of the kingdom. And uh, you mentioned, one of the questions that came in is that you mentioned that the elders have been studying the keys to the kingdom for over a year. Can you talk a little bit more about the when, the why, the how of how that all started? Yeah, so I mentioned a couple times in these sermons that, um, that this really didn't sort of um, grow up out of a, a problem we were trying to address. It wasn't a practical or pragmatic problem that we're trying to address, that we're really trying to um, look at passages from the ground up and then see where we needed to apply those to our church. But that doesn't mean that they, you know, that study came out of a, um, completely out of nowhere or in a vacuum. Um, so a few, I think, a few factors were involved, one of which was um, my PhD dissertation, about a third of it was spent in studying the Puritans on the keys of the kingdom. Um, so I found from studying that that they thought this was a really big deal. Um, I kind of thought Matthew 16 was enigmatic, enigma, uh, unclear, and, and uh, probably related to a lot of things, and not much of it related to church government. Um, but I could see from reading the Puritans that they thought more of this and thought that there's a fork in the road at Matthew 16 with these keys to the kingdom. Um, either it's gonna to lead to one kind of church government or another. And uh, so I just knew that at some point we needed to study that together. The, the book that we've sort of leaned on the most for our church government beliefs in the past never dealt with Matthew 16. Uh, we'd never studied it as elders. That's one of the things elders do is they get together and study and pray. Um, and so that's part of it. Uh, about the same time as, as that was going on though, uh, we as a church, well we, I should say we as elders, realized that we needed to add a paragraph to our statement of faith. We added a paragraph on marriage and sexuality and gender. Um, 
And we did that constitutionally as we could, um, just as elders. We decided that we would add that, but, but it felt funny to us. You all signed something, a covenant of fellowship, if you're a member here anyway, um, saying you agreed with our statement of faith. And then at some point we added a paragraph to it. We, and again, we, we felt like it was the right thing to do. We felt like that paragraph was something we've all just assumed over the years. And now with our culture changing as it is, we needed to make that explicit, what we had been assuming. But it, it still felt funny to us. And we needed to at least think through it, whether that ultimately is the best way to handle something where an eldership can simply alter a statement of faith that the whole church has already agreed to. And about that same time, there was a church in San Francisco, um, a conservative reformed church um, that uh, had something happen where the elders announced to the church that they had come to the conclusion that homosexual unions were fine and they were withdrawing themselves from their denomination. They were changing their statement of faith on that issue. Um, and, uh, and those who disagreed with them, well, they could just move on down the road, and that's about it. Um, and so that seemed funny to us. That seemed odd that a church could, or that an eldership could alter um, the, con, you know, the shared confession of a church um, by itself without the, the church um, assenting to it. So those are some factors leading to us starting to study it um, and also related to us thinking about, like as we've been saying, the who and the what of the gospel or the congregation's role in membership and discipline. Long answer, sorry. No, it was good, thank you. So if the keys of the kingdom were obvious to you early on, uh, why has this taken two years? To study. Yeah, so it wasn't obvious to me early on. Uh, we really, it was really was an organic analysis of scripture that we were trying to figure out together. Um, and I wasn't sure exactly where any of us would conclude, uh, where we would land. Um, but it did take us over a year to study it. When you hear something like that, you might think, why should it take anyone a year to study anything? Like a year to study something. If it's, if it's clear in scripture, why would it take a whole year to study it? Um, just know this, that that probably means there were 15 to 20 elders meetings where we studied it. Um, so it just, we don't always have a study. We don't always have time for um, uh, an intense discussion of a passage. Um, and, and so it just, it's spread out over um, that amount of time, whether, whether it was a year and a half or two years or so. Good, thanks. Tim Hickman. Elder to be this Sunday. Can we uh, throw a question towards you? This question came in. Can you provide maybe some more insight as to what this might look like from a nuts and bolts standpoint? Um, Ryan has said that in January this would commence. Can you provide some, some idea of what that might look like? Yeah, so, uh, so as has been mentioned a couple times from the pulpit over the course of the last few weeks, um, a lot of the specifics are yet to be determined and um, we've had a number of meetings talking about that very subject. In fact, uh, this week's meeting yesterday morning was a good bit of time was spent on that very topic. Um, so what it does mean, what we do, do know that it means is uh, that there will be members meetings, membership meetings of some kind and that we can likely assume those will probably be 
uh, a handful of times a year, uh, three, four, five, maybe something like that. And um, and the day that all the circumstances that surround how that's going to work and all that kind of thing are still yet to be determined. So. Uh, Lord willing, over the course of the next few months, we'll hammer out some of those details and uh, make those available to you, I think, as, as, as time allows and as we make those determinations. But I think that's kind of all we've established really at this point is member meetings a couple times a year at least. Okay, thanks. Ron? So relative to this, in the short term, will the congregational involvement be just limited to the... Um, idea of, you know, who's in, who's out, membership and discipline. Is there any other areas that that'll extend to? Uh, let me, actually, I'd love to tack on to Tim's answer and then answer that. Um, as you guys have sent in, whether it's comments, cards, emails, talking to us verbally, um, even in the last week, it's meant a lot. And like you mentioned, it actually directly influenced and affected our discussion in a good way this Tuesday, which is what, yesterday? Yeah. Um, so case in point, we had two or three people say, wow, if you do this after Lord's Supper, so Lord's Supper is 6.30, maybe it finishes up around 8. If there's a members meeting after Lord's Supper, I'm just, there's no way I can make it. That's after my kid's bedtime already. We can hang in there till 8, but another 20 minutes even, no way. And so to have two or, people, two or three people say that lets us, makes us listen in a good way again. So part of our discussion Tuesday was, man, we've got to think of other options. That probably is not going to work. Um, now, so I don't talk forever. Uh, to answer your question, we don't see in the short term this affecting anything else or anything more. Now, we also want to avoid two extremes long term. One would be to say, this is all it's going to affect. The gospel, membership, putting people out of church if and when that's necessary, and the gospel as it's reflected in our doctrinal statement. We're never going to go beyond that for the next hundred years. No, we want to go where scripture leads us. But neither would we be at the other end of the spectrum, uh, which would say, man, let's let, let's let this be the first stepping stone and just keep going. Um, none of us up here envision this being a town hall. Anything kind of goes to our meeting where anyone and everyone can raise their hand and say, I've got a motion. I think we should do this. Um, and none of us envision this uh, being um, all of us having authority over spending, over budget, over I think like Ryan might have said in a sermon, the color of carpets. So there are a number of things I think we can block out, um, but there may be some things related to the gospel that we'd want to talk about in the coming years. So I better just stop there and let you ask other okay. questions. So in the short term, no. Okay, good, thank you. So while you're getting warmed up, Another question. We're going to kind of turn the page from Keys to the Kingdom, if we could, and talk about facilities. Can you talk a little bit, Ron, about what DSC's policy is for use of facilities during the week by DSC members? Yeah. Uh, let me give a real general introduction, because this could be 20 minutes. And if any of you have more specific questions, come talk to me, certainly. Uh, the general overview would be we might get requests or we do get requests from two groups. One would be um, ministries or organizations outside of DSC. And sometimes that's one of you being a member of that or having your kids participate in that organization. But it's not part of DSC and it might not even be a Christian organization. 
Uh, so a sports banquet for a, for a kid's team that's played uh, for a term, your daughter takes piano lessons and the teacher wants a space for a large recital. She can't do that in her home with 30 students and you know, all those parents. I could give you literally 50 different examples of those kinds of things. Those we say no to, mostly because we have to, or we'd be doing two or three a week. Uh, the other population would be membership interests. Uh, and for ministries of DSC, we do not only make the facility open, but uh, we accommodate and serve uh, various teams or ministries that wanted to have uh, meetings here at the church. Uh, maybe I'd also include in that our four ministry partners locally. So say CareNet, usually they do banquets at places much bigger than DSC, but if CareNet were ever to say, we want a place for 50 people to hold a meeting, they would go to Josiah and Josiah would say, how can we help? We're here to serve you. Uh, he wouldn't say, oh, sorry, we don't want to put the, the time and effort into serving you guys. Um, so mostly it's no to groups outside of the church. And I'll, I will save you guys a 10 minute sidebar on how that protects the main things that we're doing in missions and in preaching and, in so, and so forth. Um, but yes, to, to members groups. Okay, good, thanks. Tim, can maybe, could you give us some examples of what, uh, as far as members using the facilities, what that might look like, what maybe from past examples or, um, but that seems to be a reoccurring question. Yeah, so as Ron said, get lots of requests for a variety of things. And certainly we would use the facilities for DSC proper events, uh, meaning uh, any of our corporate gathering services, uh, dinner together tonight, things like cause for praise, women's Bible studies, men's huddles. So we would use it for those things outside of, of those more specific ministry-driven events for members. I can think of things like uh, weddings. So, so weddings would be an example of this is not necessarily driven by DSC, but... Uh, there are DSC members uh, seeking to, to be joined together in, in marriage, and, and so we would certainly use our facility for something like that. Mm -hmm. Funerals might be another example of where we would use uh, facilities that's not driven by the church, but connected to our, our membership. Those would be some primary examples I can think of. Um, again, lots of requests for a variety of things, uh, and in large measure, we, we don't do most of those things. Community groups? Yeah, so the, the design and philosophy for community groups is not actually here at the church. So this would be a, a DSC uh, formal ministry, and the design is that we'd be together in homes, and we'd learn hospitality and, and how to serve one another, and we'd be together outside of the church building. That said, we can envision uh, an exceptional case where a community group might need to meet here for, for a particular time. I, I recall one community group a couple years back where they literally outgrew the home. I think they had near 40 adults and, and at least that many kids. And while the apprentice and they were dividing and multiplying the group, uh, they needed to meet here a couple of times. So, so that would be an, a, an exception, but, but certainly we could envision something like that happening. Okay, thanks. Ron, one question came in, and um, a gentleman had noted the deficit in the missions giving year to date, and uh, asked if you could provide an overview of DSC's financial con condition 
And then if he or we wanted to get more information, where would we go? Who would we talk to? Yeah, real good question. So there are probably a half dozen ways in which you guys can learn about the financial status uh, and how things are ongoing through the fiscal year. Uh, to mention a few, uh, the bulletin is a great resource. Doesn't track spending, but it does track giving. So general giving and missions giving, you'll see every week in the bulletin. Um, usually our email monthly newsletter, which comes out the first few days of any given month, I'll, I'll write maybe two articles a year, so maybe one every six months. And almost always when I write, it's about administration, including finances, so some kind of an update along those lines. The church budget is available on the website. It's password protected, but all you have to do is email me and I'll email you the password. We've used the same one for eight years, so it doesn't change every year. Um, and I think I've said this in past elders Q and A's, but it's important to me that you see the budget in detail. So many churches, even if you're a member, you ask for their budget, you'll be given a one page long deal, maybe you know, 12 lines, missions is one line. So you know, missions, 34,000 if it's, say, it's a kind of a small church. And you don't know, maybe that's all going to the salary of the missions pastor, maybe none of that's going overseas or locally to help people in need or to help people hear the gospel. Um, so once you see our budget, if you print it, it's over 20 pages long. The mission section is gonna be three pages. You can see exactly how much goes to water initiative in Guatemala, you know, maybe that's like $3,000. Um, in terms of spending, all you have to do is email me. You could look at that budget and then email me and say, I'm curious, we're six months into the budget year, how much of that 3,000 has been spent on water in Guatemala has any? And we'll answer you. And there's no hesitation on our part to, to not open our books to show you where spending is as the year goes on. I'm not really answering the question. Um, so to get more specific, uh, if you've looked at the bulletin, we're doing great. It's the third or fourth year we've been significantly in the black, meaning more than 20 or 30,000. So that is, Fantastic. Um, the missions, as the question indicated though, is the area where we've got to grow in or return to where we were a few years ago. Um, this is missions giving on top of our budgeted missions giving. Uh, I'll save that 10 minute sidebar. Basically what I would say is wait a few weeks, Josiah in missions emphasis week, which is end of October, is gonna spend some time challenging us to bump that giving back up. So we are behind we'll probably end up 40,000 behind in our giving that now goes to North Africa. We call it church planting and, and now that really means North Africa. So um, we've got a good reserve kind of savings account built up from years of past giving. So um, there's no urgency to that, but we need to bump that back up. So that is a need that we'll communicate more in a few weeks. Good, thank you. Tim Bradley, you know, Ron mentioned <coughs> church planting. Um, speaking of church planning, how's Christ Church doing? And then from a financial perspective, how long will we continue to support them? Yeah, okay, so good news. Um, in God's grace, Christ Church is doing really, really well. What I mean by this is they are having inroads in the community downtown and making connections with folks there. They're now a, a year into the church plant, so they had their what maybe they called their soft launch, which was the launch team for three months and then open to the public in November of last year, but they've been meeting together since last August, so a year. Um, they've, so I got a report from Clint that they 
have lost a few folks uh, who originally went with the church. Some of that has been from folks moving out of town and out of state, and so they've shed tears like we would as, as those whom we love leave us. Uh, but they have added to their numbers. They've added actually to their membership. And so their membership presently, they went out with 75 adults and their membership now presently is 125. Mm. So they have a plus of, of 50 in about a year's time. Mm. And on the, the financial end, so, so if you think of Christ Church and the model for that plant, you could think of them like the seat of a stool. And then there were four legs supporting that stool financially, DSC being one of those. And so in year one, what DSC was committed to was up to $50,000 of support for Christ Church. So, so the members who left DSC and went with them are, are another one of those legs, but $50,000, anywhere between twenty-five dollars and $50,000. And then in year two, DS, which we're entering now, DSC is not actually committed any financial obligation with Christ Church. Yet what we've committed to them is that we would consider up to $50,000 again. At present, we're not anticipating that particular need. So as their membership is growing and as giving is increasing, uh, it seems as if DSC will no longer need to support them financially, at least not in the regular things that we project there certainly could be unexpected things that we'd want to encourage them with and help them with if we could. Thank you. Yeah. Peter, we had a lot of questions that came in with regards to the elders. Mm -hmm. And there was a, a number of them that had to do with uh, why so few elders. So we have four elders, one that is, uh, Lord willing, will we'll be joining the elders on Sunday. Mm -hmm. but. Could you provide an update as to where we are bringing on more elders? Yes, certainly. Um, the leadership of uh, any church is an important uh, thing to constantly be renewing, developing, and growing, I think. Um, we currently have less elders than we would like to have. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Um, scripture is very clear, gives us very good guidelines on who should we be looking for in terms of the biblical qualifications for elders? And we take those very seriously. And so that means that um, we are looking for men who are, one, willing and interested in becoming an elder, men who uh, are meet the biblical qualifications in Timothy and, and uh, Titus, and also um, men who have the uh, sort of life experience and uh, following in the church that indicates these men have shepherding abilities, uh, these men love the church, are trusted in the church, and are already exhibiting the qualities of being a shepherd or a leader in the church. And so as men become um, aware to us uh, that they're naturally leaders and shepherds in the life of the church, we take note of that. Uh, we look to encourage them. We often have conversations with them. Uh, we talk to them about the possibility of their interest in leadership. And when there is a mutual interest, uh, then we uh, encourage them uh, to consider becoming into the process of how we develop elders here. And that process is not a short one. It involves uh, quite a bit of testing, a fairly significant period of observation. Uh, that word observation means that uh, an individual may come into the elder meeting and participate in the uh, discussion, conversation, observe what's taking place, uh, see if they feel like they would be a good fit in that environment, uh, and whether or not this is a, a leadership culture that they would feel comfortable in. And as that person grows and develops, 
uh, into a potential candidate, uh, then a formal application uh, is invited for him to become a candidate, and uh, then we um, review that candidate and uh, application if it's successful, then that person enters into a one-year candidacy. Uh, Tim Hickman has just completed that one year and will be installed on Sunday, and that's a real blessing. So when you look at the whole process, it's a very serious, deliberative process, and um, is, there's not a huge crowd of people that are just jumping to get in there. Uh, it's a um, major, major life commitment. And so we are interested in having as many men who fit those qualifications and have that desire as possible serve as leaders. So we're not deliberately small. We're always looking. We're always wanting to develop, but we want to stay within the biblical guidelines. So are the new staff guys being considered for elders? How does that work? Okay. Uh, when we hire a new staff minister, uh, we hire them with the expectation that they will be an elder-like person and they would progress onto eldership in the life of the church. Uh, that's not necessarily going to take place within a year or two. Sometimes staff ministers are quite young. Uh, we have several staff ministers who are very young um, in our church staff, and, and that's a blessing. Uh, and oftentimes that means maybe a little more life experience, a little more experience in leading and fellowshipping and shepherding in the church is desired by uh, the elders before uh, we take them into the candidate process. So they may have uh, a fairly short observation period, uh, but then they would, uh, when the time is right, enter into a full year of candidacy, just like everybody else. It's not automatic that a staff minister will become very quickly an elder. They will go through the same testing period uh, that non-staff and lay elders will. Good. Thank you. So, Tim Hickman, is there some ways that our church family can be praying for our elders? Oh, man. Uh, yeah. Um, what, a, what a blessing to get that question. Uh, uh, I'll tell you, um, uh, not unlike probably the rest of the members, uh, elders... Uh, have the same needs and concerns as the rest of the body. So in, in uh, Romans 13, I think Paul talks about, uh, he uses, goes from using language like you to using language like us. This is the apostle Paul speaking, and he goes on to say toward the end, maybe the middle of the chapter, I think, uh, be clothed in Christ and put off uh, the desires of the flesh. And, uh, and I think we would all agree, I think uh, the desires of the flesh are common. Um, things like pride and selfishness and uh, a lack of joy and gossip and hypocrisy and all those, all those things you might, uh, I suspect maybe you struggle with too, we do as well. So I'd probably say some of those things are some, some fairly specific things. I think it'd be appropriate too if you wanted even more specifics to come and talk to us or, or email or something like that. But um, then along with that, just as a group, um, some specifics I think might be uh, unity, unity amongst the leadership, unity in the church, um, love for one another, um, love for God's people, um, a continuing and growing zeal for God's word and prayer, in particular, Acts 6, right? Prayer and the word, that kind of thing. So um, if you've got a pen and paper out, I'd write, jot those things down. I'd be glad to tell you a lot more, but I think that's a good start. Good. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, so on a lighter note, Tim, uh, 
Can you give us a little, maybe just take a minute, give us a little bit of insight as to what the uh, elder candidate process has been like for you? <laughs> sure. Uh, sorry for the giggle. Uh, I, <laughs> right. um, well, I'll tell you, uh, early on, um, I, I felt as though the process was probably a little slower than, than I wanted it to be. I was very, very, uh, I eagerly anticipated, as it says, the, the process, um, which I think was good. But I'll tell you, I think the process is uh, appropriately slow, for lack of a better way to say it, at, at times, and appropriately deliberate. And one thing I've uh, gleaned lots from these men up here over the last couple of years, but um, one thing I have learned and to really appreciate is uh, what seems kind of slow is really an effort to, to be wise and proceed prudently. And uh, I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. Mm -hmm. So not, not dragging their heels on things that don't need to have your heels drug on, but, but being appropriately slow and deliberate where that's, where that's appropriate. So, um, so that process for me be began, I think, uh, kind of the early stages of the process in 2014, uh, May-ish, so two and a half years ago thereabouts. Um, and, and as was mentioned, the, the process is extensive, but again, I think appropriately so. And um, a lot of prayer and consideration and discussions and uh, um, a lot more prayer and consideration and discussions going on through that process. And then when, as I think Peter mentioned, um, then uh, an, an elder, uh, potentially an elder candidate is invited into observation for a season uh, that may be um, several months, maybe a year or even more. Uh, and then again, as Peter said, if, that's, if it's decided that that's a good way to proceed, then candidacy is officially introduced. And that process is, I think, according to the Constitution, at least a year. Okay. Answer your question there. Scott, can I uh, just call an audible and have our observers stand up and we can identify them? Um, so if you're an observer right now in our elders' meetings, so we got, what, six? Uh, so these are staff guys. Um, plus Sandy Beauchamp and, uh, and Scott, who's up on the stage here. So th that just tells you who, uh, you, you can sit down now, thanks. Uh, uh, that just tells you that we're, we're uh, being aggressive, you could say, with adding to our, our elders. So if you look on our, our eldership, you know, webpage and you see four guys and maybe one's a candidate or something, you might think, oh boy, that's really... Um, a little group, and in some ways it is, but do remember community group leaders are sort of another layer of shepherds. There's no way that even eight elders would sufficiently shepherd the, the current membership that we have. Um, so community group leaders are a layer of, of shepherding and know that we're also um, looking to add to our, our numbers here with, uh, with the guys that just stood up. So pray for them. Thank you. Well, you guys look like you need a little bit of a break, so we're going to give you a break. Uh, we had some, some questions that came in with regards to um, our adult education and theological education, so we're going we're gonna to ask Asher to stand and, and answer this question if he, if he would. Uh, Asher, can you provide an update regarding adult education? Someone actually asked, what is Asher doing? With regards to theological education and, uh, and equipping. Yeah, uh, that's great. Just hanging out. Um, uh, my name is Asher. For those of you who I haven't met or don't know me, uh, my wife and I have been here for about five months now. So coming this weekend will be five months. And it's been 
it's been really awesome and we feel immediately a part of the family. Um, that is a great question. Let me answer it in two ways uh, quickly. So the first part is trying to naturally get a lay of the land of where DSC has been adult education wise, what people have gained from it, um, where people want to go with it. So just asking a ton of questions from different kinds of people, whether it's, you know, how did this work on Sunday morning? What do you think about Saturday morning or throughout the week? What are the times that you'd like to intake scripture with other people? Um, the second part has come from within that brainstorming in my own mind, uh, which can take a long time, on, on thinking through how uh, people can delight in the law of the Lord together. Um, so what I, where I see this going, um, without the Lord stopping it, is the Desert Springs Institute is what I keep calling it and what it's been called to me. Um, so the Desert Springs Institute being almost an umbrella organization where a couple of things take place um, throughout the week, throughout the lifespan of, of a believer here. Uh, the first one is, um, I'm going to call it encounter. So how do people encounter Christ in this church? That could look like evangelism uh, opportunities. That could be evangelism classes. That could be you being trained in that. The, the Casey Casey, knowing Christ, knowing the church could be a part of that. How do people encounter basic Christianity, who Christ is, questions with that, within that apologetics? So encountering. And you know where I'm going with this. I've got three E's. So the second one is um, edification. So those who are Christians and they want to mature practically within their lives. So that may look like Claris, where our church puts a lot of effort into hosting this conference, primarily for the church. Um, so unique thing uh, in this area and in the country, certainly, where we put a lot of ammo into that. Another way might be just having classes on systematic theology, Christology, how has the Bible come together? What's the history of church life? What's the history of this church? So where people together in this church are being edified in the faith, um, and also branching off from that, uh, partnering with Scott and community groups where community groups can explore into that or discipleship relationships can come from that. Uh, the, the next category, I don't want to say level because it's not like a rank, the next uh, category would be education. So for those who are wanting almost formal education in Christianity, um, some of the conversations I've had in the last couple of months have been with different seminaries uh, most notably Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary and Southern Seminary, where they partner with churches pretty regularly to offer master-level courses and credit where people are doing the work of the ministry inside the church. And if you are interested in credit towards a seminary degree, they, they work with that. Um, some of the things that our church already does, like the Simeon Trust, where you know this next week 50 pastors from around the area and the country are going to come in and learn different principles of preaching. That's, that's being educated in how to train others for the sake of the ministry, for the sake of the word work. So different things that I'm trying to gather is one, knowledge from people who have already been here and know what they're doing. What do they like to do so I don't blow anything up? But then second, how do we kind of harness that into an understandable way so that when people join up with this church, that if I want to be edified with the word, here are a couple of things that me or people in my family can do. Or if I have this inkling towards ministry, if I'm a man or a woman and I like teaching other men or women about the Bible, how can, how can I grow in that? Well, we've got a brainstorm up here on stage of people who would love to teach you how to teach other people about the Bible. So let's unleash that in a, in a more formal way. So what I envision is elders 
administering the word in, from the pulpit and within the people and also using the giftings of our church of men and women who want to edify one another. And so hopefully going forward, maybe this spring, not to tip my hand anyway, maybe this spring talking about unleashing the Desert Springs Institute. A lot of powerful words there. Like I feel like a weatherman just going to unleash it on people. So thank you. Yeah. <laughs> We've been unleashed on. All right. Well, back to you all. Tim Bradley. Uh, have we ever considered going to one service and uh, w what are the issues with, we're in two services now, there's a lot of questions came in, you know, it sure be cool to go to one service. What, what, what are some of the issues? Yeah, so, so we don't have a, a particular conviction that by being in two services, this is two churches. We believe this to be one church and we gather together in two gatherings on Sunday morning, for example. Um, some of the issues would be logistical. Um, and so, so what do you do with childcare, for example? Do you encourage, if the church gathers at one time and you have childcare, do you encourage members of your church to forego corporate worship? So there are other churches that do this, and we're sure we could learn from them if, if we would ever consider that. I think one of the primary logistical issues uh, for us is the church at, at present is too big for our facility. So you might get the appearance when you're in services on Sunday morning that, oh, there's a lot of empty seats. But if we were to take our average and we, of both services and we were to put that together, it would put us certainly above 80% full and maybe even 90% full, and as the saying goes, 80% full is full. Mm -hmm. so, so at present, in God's kindness, there are too many folks gathering here at Desert Springs in our current facility for us to go to one service. We'd be open to the idea, lots of benefits we could see from, from that, mm -hmm. uh, pros and cons to, to both. Good, but, yeah. thank you. Ryan, what are some ways that DSC partners with other churches? Yeah, um, a number of ways. So I, Asher just mentioned the Simeon workshop that's coming up. That'll be um, pastors mostly from the state, um, somewhat from the region, some, a few coming from, what, Montana and Tennessee and such. But, um, but, but those are mostly pastors we know, pastors we get together with often. Uh, there's overlap between, say, a Simeon workshop here in town um, and our TGC regional chapter, which our church is uh, privileged to host. Um, so that's about 35 pastors or so um, who are, they share a whole lot of um, theology and shared conviction about ministry and ministry philosophy. Um, so we meet quarterly for three hours each time and then other meetings as well and other relationships and friendships sort of blossom out of that, uh, out of those meetings. Um, so God's doing something special, I think, in, in knitting our hearts together, uh, and especially over years of doing it, the friendships grow uh, stronger, and um, you know, uh, it's just, it's neat to see. There's a lot of fellow care, burden-bearing prayer, um, love for each other, um, and uh, it, it's, it's been a blessing. So that would be one way in which we're, they're sort of friendships, very close friendships with, uh, with fellow pastors 
Um, some, some of those churches will also be involved in um, church planting. Uh, so this church financially supported uh, a church down in um, the international zone, Spanish-speaking church. That's also part of our TGC regional chapter. Um, probably four or five or maybe six of our TGC churches uh, were heavily involved in the financial support of that church. So church planning efforts, uh, our conference would be another way in which we partner with other churches. We want to host that for them and, and for them to come and for it to be a blessing to them. Um, and then beyond that, I would say there's a lot of um, warm acquaintances. So we want to just, you know, we want to invite guys we don't even know yet to come to a, um, a Simeon workshop. Uh, we want to find out what, what this church is doing and what that church is doing and what this new pastor is like and, and get to know him. And um, So we're looking for ways of doing that. But um, we also realize, too, that uh, we don't have infinite hours in the week, and there are all kinds of churches in town that... Um, are preaching the gospel and we haven't yet even made their acquaintance let alone become really good friends or something close to family members and that's okay so kind of change of course here a little bit but you know i don't know of a time that in culture that we've ever been bombarded with opinions and social media and you know the the news doesn't seem to be news anymore. It seems to be just, you know, noise and politics. When, where, how does DSC address um, those issues? In other words, how do those issues get addressed? You still asking me? I am. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so cultural issues, when do they get addressed? Um, you know, where our passage of the week is rubbing up against something that is obviously on our minds, those have to be put together, and it'd be a shame if they didn't, and I hope that we do. Um, beyond that, I think we sometimes, maybe not enough, but we will from time to time do a pastoral prayer um, that is focused on an event, a crisis, uh, an issue, a concern, um, of national or global significance. Um, we pray for race issues. We pray for um, life or, you know, anti-abortion, you could say. We, we pray for um, those kind of issues um, as, as they come to mind and as the, uh, they're on our radar for whatever's in the headlines. Um, we, we, from time to time, we'll use our blog for something like that. When we come across a great article that we think really speaks well to race, politics, gender, cultural issues, we will, um, from time to time, uh, use our blog for that. I think we could do a better job of that. We've kind of, in recent days, thought, you know what, we should probably start to use that more and, and highlight more of what is a good resource out there. Um, and, and put it on our blog. Good, thank you. So, as we kind of soft land the plane, would each of you, beginning with Ryan, would you just provide, we're talking about cultural issues, will each of you just provide maybe one resource that you've come to appreciate over the years that you use that's helpful to you, dealing with, you know, thinking biblically as it relates to culture, and news, Ryan? 
Yeah, I'm glad I get to go first because I, I think I'll probably say the one that we would all want to say. Um, so uh, Al Mohler, uh, his The Briefing podcast is just dynamite. It's uh, eight to ten minutes a day, Monday through Friday, apart from some summer months, um, where he is giving analysis of the headlines. He says, uh, you know, analysis of cultural issues from a Christian worldview. So he's just a very thoughtful man. Um, and uh, that, it's well worth your time. If you do five days a week for, for five weeks, you'll be really depressed. So, <laughs> because he's analyzing problems in the culture. So I, I can't listen to it every day. Uh, bless, bless his heart for you know, doing the work for that uh, to, to be put to us. But, uh, but it's really good. And I need, when I don't listen to it for a while, I realize that I'm missing out on a, a real keen eye on cultural issues. Yeah, that's a good one. I'll, I'll maybe try and go in the other direction and it won't be as obvious that it's cultural, helpful as it relates to cultural issues, but the, the Biblical Counseling Coalition, how the issues within our culture and the problems that we all would face in life and right here where we live and, and how, uh, how the Bible speaks to the, the various issues that we would have in culture. Uh, one of them would be uh, how the church is, from my perspective, psychologized. And so the Biblical Counseling Coalition would help through their articles and resources to, to address some of those. And what's so that website? Uh, I think it's biblicalcounseling.com or org. Org. Dot org. Biblicalcounseling.org. You could type in Biblical Counseling Coalition in your yeah. web browser and find it. Thank you. Tim. Just the TG, TGC website. Good. Great one. Thank you. Ron? I would repeat what Tim just said. So um, if you've not gone to Gospel Coalition website, uh, go there. Real easy to see on the top. There'll be one of the click choices as blogs. Then you'll see maybe 15 or so different uh, authors that, that do blogging. I'll read um, Justin Taylor, who was here for Claris two years ago or one year? Two years, two years ago. Um, Justin, in the past month, has done some stuff on church history. Uh, Kevin DeYoung is another favorite of, I wouldn't be the only one up here. Um, always got great stuff on cultural issues. And Thabiti Anabwile, who also has been here a few years ago uh, for Claris has some great stuff. And in the last month, the BT has had some good articles on race relations. My other go-to source is actually Trent. So our former pastor who is now in South Carolina is a very well-read guy. I'll often, even now that he's gone, ask Trent, what books are you reading? And then I'll go on Amazon and I'll order one or two of them. So those are my resources. Good, thank you. Peter. Nothing different uh, for me other than the fact that there's a couple of really good theological seminaries that have uh, good articles and good blogs. Mm -hmm. Southern Baptist Theological Seminary would be one of them. Uh, Don Carson's um, Trinity uh, College is another great uh, place for articles. Mm -hmm. But uh, I also read the same ones that have been mentioned. Good. Thank you. Hey, Scott, could I, could I just add also the ERLC, the mm -hmm. ER Ethics and Religious Liberties uh, Commission, that they're similar to the briefing, they really are, are focused a, a lot on these Wilson cultural Lord. issues, headlines, and, and really, really great stuff. ERLC.org? ERLC.org, yeah. And you can, get, you can sign up for their weekly email. You it, weekly email. It, 
does a debrief on the major headlines and cultural issues in one email once a week. Yep. That's a gem. Good. That's great. Well, let me just say to you, thank you for your thoughtful questions that, that you sent in. And, and know this, that uh, the welcome mat is always out. The door is always open to the elders for any of your questions. This shouldn't be the only time of the year that questions uh, come in. Those should come in uh, frequently and, and often. Um, as Ryan, um, well, let me, let me just say this. Um, if, for whatever reason, uh, maybe you asked a question that didn't get answered tonight, or perhaps one of the answers spurred another question, let me give you a couple of suggestions on how you might want to proceed. Uh, one would be, um, you can submit your questions, uh, you can email them, you can put them on a, uh, an information card. Um, what I'd recommend is getting a hold of these guys and letting them buy you a breakfast or a cup of coffee. That would be uh, my recommendation, okay? The, uh, the other option would be to uh, grab, uh, get a hold of Asher, and uh, because um, as the second part of our Q&A, Asher's gonna be navigating the, uh, the floor and fielding your questions from the floor. So with that, let's turn it over to Asher. Hey everyone, I'm still working, so this is what I do <laughs> all day. Um, all right, yes, all right. Uh, so we're gonna take a couple of questions, handful of questions for many, many minutes. Um, a couple of ground rules. One, I may not give you the microphone. Uh, that doesn't mean I don't trust you. Uh, this is just my opportunity to be a game show host. Uh, the, the more concise your question is, probably the more concise their answer will be and also more questions that we can get to. Um, I don't know why I'm walking around. My wife's over here, so I'm going to stand by her. But if you have a question, uh, why don't you go ahead and stand up, and I'm going to try to get to as many people as I can. You may not want to stand up the whole, the whole time, uh, but at any point in time, you can stand up. And I've got 6,000 steps so far today. My goal is 10,000. So here's our first question. Hi, how are we doing on uh, membership? I know in the past year or so, there's been more of an emphasis on getting attendees to become members. Uh, so do we know, do we have any figures on, has that, has that ratio increased, the number of members to the number of attend attendees, and any thoughts on that? Ron, I'm going to ask you to answer that. Yeah, I'm the person to ask, and I don't have a good answer for you, Randy. Um, we have been working a lot on membership. Ken Wesselman's been helping us. He's a former elder. He still works for us on that. Alicia in our office works on that. Um, we've got a new module to Shelby, which is our software program for the church. And um, anyway, I know we're, con we're doing better, uh, but I can't give any numbers, so sorry. Good question, though. And as we get to the next one, I'll make a, a note to write that and start researching it for you. Great. We have another question in the back. Hi. Um, I was just wondering, what is your guys' like, level of accountability with each other? Like, um, you know, elders are to be above approach. And so I'm curious, like, practically speaking, how well do you guys know each other's weaknesses? And how, what measures do you implement to guard against sin and whatnot, and by an extension that you would like us to be replicating in our friendships and community groups? Uh, Tim, Bradley, can you take that one? 
Yeah, so, so there's a variety of ways of going about this. We would, we would all have relationships outside of the eldership where we would seek and pursue accountability. But specific to your question and within the eldership, uh, we are friends in, in God's grace and in God's kindness. We have friendships and, and that looks differently uh, among all of us. Uh, but we spend a good amount of time together and in prayer uh, we invite uh, regularly feedback from other guys. We even have some formal mechanisms for this. So, so at least quarterly, we will do a formalized accountability where we will ask ourselves and rank ourselves on a whole variety of questions, uh, accountability questions. And then we will invite our spouses to participate in that and provide feedback on our self-assessment. And then we will gather together. We will share some of those maybe highlights and lowlights, if you, if you want to call it that, some of the lowlights, places where we find ourselves struggling, places where maybe our, our spouse saw it a little bit differently than, than we did. And then once we do that as a group, then we will pair up with one other guy in the group and go and have some intentional time to go deeper on those lowlights, to, to get feedback, to get encouragement, uh, rebuke where needed and necessary. And so there are some formal mechanisms. Uh, we, we wanna be open books to one another. Uh, our, our wives would be a, a good part of that. Uh, I feel like Marcy could talk to any of these guys about about anything and so we want to welcome that and, and, and so there's a variety of ways we would seek to tackle that uh, and, and address accountability among ourselves. Yeah. Great. Other questions? Yeah. I'm sorry if we could, Bill we could Anderson. say I'll go back here and circle back there. If you could say your name as well. Pretend I don't know you. And then I'm Lynn Hogan. Um, I was just watching the news before I came and, uh, you know, of course, the disaster in Puerto Rico and we're just entering the holiday season. Um, is the church, does the church sponsor Black uh, um, Samaritan's Purse and some of the uh, um, Compassion International and some of the charities that uh, the, the children are going to need uh, coming into this holiday season? Yeah, wait. Start by taking that. Um, whenever there's a a disaster that's well more significant, which happens several times a year in in our world and even in our country, a couple times in the past few weeks or the past month because of hurricanes, um, Josiah will often get with Clint and will, they'll talk and and see what can be done to give you an example. Um, uh, Josiah found a church that I'll talk about a little bit on Sunday in the welcome spot that we're going to help in Texas because of that first of the series of hurricanes that hit. Um, so sometimes we won't give to something general. Sometimes we will, but sometimes we won't give to a general larger organization. We'll find a church to minister to and with, knowing that that church won't only minister to its membership, but the community outside of the church. So in many cases of these natural disasters, so to speak, uh, we'll, we'll want to work with your churches. We've done that in Central America, in Asia, and other parts of the world when disasters have hit. So that's at least the beginning of an answer. If Josiah comes up to answer a question later in the evening, he can add to that. Well, you know, like Samaritan's Purse, you know, where uh, members actually pack 
Lynn, you should talk to Josiah about that. Yep. <laughs> Great, we got another question here. Uh, yeah, my name is Jeff Marshall. Yeah. And uh, the question I had, hopefully I'm not misunderstood, but um, I actually had this question when I read one of the emails you sent out earlier um, a few months ago where you mentioned that you lean a lot on the ELRC and, and whatnot. So with, without getting too much into it, because I've read quite a bit and corresponded with some of, some of the same gentlemen that you, you mentioned, like Tabidi and uh, as well as, as Russell Moore and those guys, would, would the heart of the, if, if those are cultural resources that you're leaning on, would the heart of the eldership as a whole, or maybe it's independent and individual, on all of the racial stuff that's essentially culturally where leaders of the gospel are leaning first uh, upon race or upon who you vote for? Because uh, I know Russell Moore kind of did that and then kind of apologized, and then Tabidi does that quite a bit, actually, you know, where it's sort of race first lens down through that. Um, would you guys agree with that approach or agree more with a family of God, kingdom, <laughs> white, black, Hispanic, Asian, um, and then down through that lens that we're um, all on equal footing based on our, you know, citizenship in a new kingdom, in a new family first. Does that, does that make sense the way, I, I guess, the way I'm asking? So one thing I would say is that just because we mentioned someone or an organization as a resource doesn't mean that we're going to believe, um, agree with every tweet, every post, every article. Um, so that would be something just to tuck away. That doesn't mean wholesale endorsement across the board here. Um, so we, we really don't spend a whole lot of time talking about, um, you know, so-and-so's last blog post, do we all agree with it? We've got other things to do. Um, so I don't think you would have necessarily a, so, some sort of unified position on every race and every headline issue that could be talked about. Um, we, the, again, we just don't have time to try to figure out unity on, on those kind of specifics. Um, however, do we have certain convictions about race and unity and the people of God and what the gospel does that it reconciles um, the dignity of those who bear God's image? Absolutely. So we want to point people to good resources that even could be diverse resources in some ways. So, you know, some things that um, Al Mohler would say, uh, Thabiti wouldn't say. Some things Thabiti would say, Al Mohler wouldn't say. We're okay with that. We're just we're just trying to point you to some resources that um, might help you think through some issues. Great, thanks. Yeah. Uh, all the way in the back here. I'm Bill Anderson. First of all, thanks, guys. I love you. Thanks for serving us as shepherds. I just wondered. Uh, I've lost track of where I think I know where the mortgage deadline was. So they, we must be within last five years of paying off this building. So I wondered if you, if you were beginning to discuss any kind of a, a strategy for what uh, we might preoccupy ourselves with if we didn't have debt payment. Is that something that's begun to enter your conversations yet? 
Ron. You're the richest. Can you take that one? <laughs> um, it has begun to enter our mind, Bill, yeah. So uh, our present mortgage, we've refinanced, I believe, two different times in the past 10 years, always to get a lower interest rate. Uh, and at present, we're on track to get it paid off in early fall 2023. Um, we have in the budget now a little bit toward paying off on principal. And with being in the black like we have, as I mentioned, the past few years, uh, as long as we don't start going in the red, we can and have talked about, Peter's great at prompting us toward this, being our kind of guy in finance. The idea of paying more off on principal than five or 10,000 a year to even get that uh, to earlier in 2023 or 2022. So we are within six years, uh, which is great news. We pay 15,000 a month on our mortgage. And so if and when that gets freed up, there are multiple options. So maybe I'll mention two and then stop so it's not a 10 or 15 minute speech. Uh, one is that we can do more with missions and the second is that we can do more with this building. Uh, not that we want marble and escalators and swimming pools and hot tubs. Um, <laughs> but uh, to give you one example, the building is 2002 built, so well over 10 years. Um, I guess 15 years. And as we're talking now, there are leaks in three parts of the building. So there's water dripping in three different parts of the building. Not coming in like a water faucet, but dripping. And so we've got roof repairs ahead of us. Uh, as elders, we dream about covering over the courtyard. Courtyard looks great. Great to have a few times a year. Most Sundays, we're not there because it's too hot. Just get some kids running around. So we'd love to have more of a foyer. So the foyer isn't shoulder to shoulder packed. Um, on Sundays, so that we dream about things to do with the facility. Uh, we've got a dirt lot that we own, and we've never done anything to develop, to develop that. So um, we're always open to ideas in the next year or two uh, from you all about uh, uh, what you'd like to see building-wise. So building, missions, I don't know if there are other areas we've talked about, but we have started thinking about that. Yeah. Can I mention one of the building things we talked about is this very room. Um, we, we notice on Sundays that it's very hard to find a seat even when it's barely half filled. If you come in late, you see a wall of people in the back. And uh, so we've, we have an architect in, in our church who's uh, kindly given us some time and, and uh, shown us different ways that this room could look where it would be easier to find a seat. So that's a possibility sometime in the next couple of years, some sort of renovation of this room um, that would provide one, more seating, but two, more ease in getting to those seats. And which is, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a hospitality issue. Um, that's a, a kindness to our visitors. That's um, uh, also a, a way in which we could have more people in this room if the Lord brings them. Still got time for more questions. Well, I'm waiting on, um, oh, you took my, took my spot now. I was just wondering about SNAP. Have, has SNAP um, kind of petered down a little? I was just wondering because I don't remember a lot of, I mean, SNAP was very active at one point, and I was just wondering if it's coming back, or you know what I mean. Do you know what I mean? No. <laughs> this would be a great time for Josiah. 
Is this about funding or? No, no, that's a good question. Okay, just making sure. Ones, uh, so SNAP is uh, our, uh, our project where we're, we have two families in North Africa. And so we had fundraisers for them before they went out to kind of raise a uh, savings account for them and to establish funding for them to go. And so we haven't done as many of the fundraisers lately because, um, you know, we don't want to have too many fundraisers. There's always that balance we're talking about where we don't want to always feel like, we're, oh, it's missions time. We got to ask you for money. Uh, but we are going to ask you for money in uh, uh, Missions Emphasis Week. Uh, we're running about a uh, $40,000 deficit for, our, uh, for what it costs to keep our missionaries in North Africa. And so we're going to ask for the congregation to be praying about making a sacrifice of continuing the idea that uh, Clint started, which was a $1 a day or $2 a day or $3 a day commitment from families to be able to help support the SNAP fund. So that is something that we are praying about, something we're talking a lot about, and we're going to be uh, talking a lot about it during Missions Emphasis Week. So thank you so much. I'll have a follow-up on the, while I'm walking back. Where am I walking to? Way in the back. Okay. Um, Peter, can you give us one or two principles to think about as Christians? Money, uh, giving, planning, uh, you're a financial guy, uh, not, not a real long um, thing, but just a couple of things that we could think about, because money is a, is a sticky thing to think about. Um, and so maybe a couple of things you've seen both in professionally, but also pastorally that you could pass our way. Yeah. Uh, interesting question. Um, one of my favorite authors is Randy Alcorn and he's established, um, some principles and he calls them treasure principles. And uh, right at the top of that principle is the fact that everything that we manage, everything that we receive in terms of income, uh, the assets that we acquire. Uh, are all belonging to God and not us. So we're stewards and managers, we're not owners. When we adopt that attitude, I think we spend money differently, more wisely, uh, more carefully. Um, <clears throat> those who look at the resources that God provides us as his um, will have a tendency to give more generously, more liberally, because um, the scripture really gives us a, a sense of wanting to uh, bless others, uh, with the blessings that God has given us. And when we give first to the Lord the best part or the first part of our income, um, the, uh, the blessings are enormous. One, for the giver, and two, for the uh, church that that person belongs to. Because the church then is well-funded, it's able to fund uh, ministries adequately uh, that bless not only the church but the surrounding community. Uh, and so uh, that's a key principle there. And then the other principle I think that's also key is uh, to learn to live on less than you make. We live in a culture that is so debt-oriented uh, that we have uh, tremendous numbers of people in the church just struggling financially. They're not able to give as they would like to because they're head over heels in debt. And uh, our culture encourages that. Uh, but scripture is very conservative about debt 
And so if we were looking for two principles, uh, it's how we view money, whose is it, and how we should manage it, and two, learn to live on less than we earn uh, so we can be better stewards of what God does provide. My name is George Wadiri, and um, we're fairly new to the church here. Um, I know that there are different philosophies on approach to teaching and um, uh, the focus on uh, here in DSC on going verse by verse, which is really good. But I was wondering, um, kind of tying to what someone mentioned with a lot of things that come up culturally or um, that, that are pressing on people's minds that um, really needs to be addressed and sometimes with um, just the verse by verse, it may never come around. Um, I know that in recent times there was a comment during one of the sermons about uh, preaching topically once in five years and repenting over it. But is it um, something that is, uh, can be considered to make that a little more frequent, maybe once or twice a year, where um, there could be a topical study on, you know, just maybe one or two weeks that looks exhaustively at what Scripture says on a topic that might be of pressing relevance. Can I, can, sorry, can I ask Ryan and then Ron, both of you guys, answer that? Okay. Yeah, George, it's a great question. Um, Something I didn't mention when I was listing various ways that cultural issues might get addressed around here. Um, a, a, a couple of years ago, we did a whole conference on those cultural issues, abortion, race, what else, religious liberty. Um, we got some guys in who are real experts at that, and uh, they did a, a knock-up job um, at, at helping us think through some, some of those things. So those talks are always online. Um, from time to time, we want to do things like that. We want to have conferences that are addressing hot-button issues. Um, we've done some Saturday seminars along those lines as well. For us, a Saturday seminar is usually a three-hour Saturday morning event. Uh, a while back, we did one on marriage, sexuality, and gender issues. Um, so we... We will continue to look for ways to do additional teaching, um, promote different articles. Um, I don't think we'll do multiple topical sermons per year. Um, could we do a better job of um, thinking how this passage relates to X, Y, or Z issue, uh, perhaps? And so we'll continue to think through that and, uh, and, and think of different ways we can we can meet those very needs. One of the ways that I think those um, issues get talked about in a church, at least in our church, would be community groups. So that would be um, you know, a good thing for community groups to, to, be, to be wrestling with together in community, week in, week out. Yeah, I'll just kind of continue along the same uh, line of thinking. When you think of these issues, I'm guessing if we took a poll now and had everybody, I don't know, take a scratch, sheet of paper and write down what are you passionate about what is the pressing cultural or ethical issue that you think Ryan should take a whole hour to preach on we get over a dozen different answers you know somebody would say it's abortion why aren't you guys talking more about that that's the taking of human life that's the modern day holocaust how can you not be spending hours on that another person would say it's trafficking that's the slavery of our day 
human trafficking worldwide. How can you not, Ryan, how can you not talk an hour about that? Uh, another person would say it's race relations. You know, that's so divisive in our country. It's such a hot issue that's got to be addressed. So we agree with that. Those are things that have got to be addressed. We would just disagree at times on the venue. So we would say they belong in pastoral prayers, but if you want, say, three one-hour talks on sexuality, gender, and marriage, then two years ago we say to Trent, okay, do a Saturday seminar. And Ryan uses the pulpit to direct us to that and to say, go to this Saturday seminar. We're going to spend a whole three hours talking about this. Um, as an elder, and I think we'd all be agreed, and I'm guessing the vast majority of you would be agreed on this too, um, we wouldn't want Ryan to do a three-week ser three sermon series on sexuality and gender. Because um, what that'll mean is not going through a book of the Bible. And when he's done with that, the next person is going to say, okay, please talk about my topic, because it's just as important. And we might think, yeah, you're right, it is just as important. Um, so we know that God's counsel is, is found in 66 books, 39 Old Testament, 29 New Testament. They're all there for a reason. They all, each one answers two or three key questions. Each one answers them uniquely. And often, that book and its picture of Christ will lead to very direct and practical change in terms of things like race relations or human life or valuing people um, because of how powerful the gospel is. So some of our philosophy is we look at the Bible and let that affect other things. We don't focus on the other things, um, which can lead to a, a bunch of errors. And I know you're not proposing that, George, um, that we stop the Bible and, and start focusing on these other things. So those are just a few thoughts that go through our minds. We in no way want to say, this doesn't need to be mentioned. All we care about is the Bible in every context, on every level. Uh, but on Sunday morning, that will always be the focus. Um, and when we see needs, we'll look to other venues and invite people, promote them, uh, but not ask Ryan to do, again, a three-week series on a topic. I know we need to wrap this up, but uh, just one thing that comes to mind, too, related to this is um, not long ago, I made this, this scratch list on a sheet of paper of what happened in the first century in the Roman world that was just absolutely earth-shattering. Like, you know, we've got, we do have some really big things happening in our country and in the world right now, um, and you know what they are, I don't even need to list them. But um, you, think of the, you think of Nero, you think of events, you think the great fire of Rome and all that that took place, and then you look at what is covered in, in the letters of, of the, um, the epistles, um, and, and the focus is on Christ, right? I mean, it's not, even though the, like persecution as a general category is discussed, specific instances of persecution isn't really discussed. Uh, the focus is on the church being the church in the midst of that culture, and their eyes being on Christ, and setting their hope on uh, his return. Um, so that's, I just find that remarkable, that when Paul decided to write to a church, he was not writing about current events. He was writing about things that supersede current events um, in the midst of you know, those horrible circumstances they found themselves in, which are for, far more um, divisive, violent, threatening, et cetera, than the ones we find ourselves in in this country right now, even though th these are unusual times. 
Well, it's uh, 7.56, so I'm going to wrap this up and then hand it over to Ron to pray for us and then dismiss us. Um, this is my first Q&A, and it was awesome because you guys asked really good questions and questions about the church in particular. These guys are not hard to find if you have follow-up questions, you want to ask more things. They might direct you to other people who can answer that. All of their email addresses are on the website under the leadership page. If they're a staff guide, it's their first name and at desertspringschurch.org. They would love to hang out with you and talk with you, dialogue with you. So don't let this be the last time until we meet again in this format until next year. Um, Ron, I want to kick this back to you and have you pray for us as a church, um, pray for our protection as a church, and that we'll see Christ through all things. Uh, and then will you dismiss us after that? Yeah, you bet. Uh, like Asher or someone, maybe Scott mentioned, uh, feel free to use the comment cards or email or coming up to any of us through the whole year. Uh, so it's been great the last two weeks, especially the last week, to see things come in. And like we said, we use those and, and pay attention to those and read them, talk about them in our meetings. Uh, but don't let this be the only time during 12 months that you feel like, oh, this is the time when elders are open to feedback. So it'd be great every month to have people fill out communication cards. Just remember, if you don't put your name on it, we can't really respond. But if you put your name, then we can email back and say, man, let's meet. Or here's that quick answer because we can do it by email. Uh, but we'll accept them either way, with or without a name. Uh, they're all good. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have said in your word that the church is the pillar and support of the truth. We thank you that we can hold in our hands collectively the truth, which is both teaching and Christ himself. Uh, can't help but think of the father of the title of John Piper's book, God is the Gospel. And so we thank you that we can hold that truth, that we can hold it forth to others. We thank you that you have also said that Christ on the cross has destroyed the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. Father, we thank you that there is one people, God's household, as you've called it, in the New Testament, and that we are, are a part of that and have the joy of being a part of that, that those of us in this room can take part in a figurative kitchen or foyer or garage or backyard, and that we can roll our sleeves up, work side by side with joy in the name of Christ for his glory uh, in serving others and in holding forth the word of truth, the gospel the person and work of Christ. Thank you for all these things. Father, as, as we don't just contemplate, but actually step into as a congregation, uh, having a little more responsibility while still being an elder-led church, but all of us uh, having more responsibility in terms of the gospel and members. I pray that you would help us do that with graciousness, that you would help us do that with wisdom as each of us on his or her own searches the scriptures, that you would help us to give words of encouragement to those that lead the teams that we're on. Father, we look forward to Sunday with great joy, singing and sitting under your word, greeting each other and greeting visitors. And help us tomorrow on that not Sunday day to glorify Christ, meditate on his word, and greet and serve others that you bring across our paths. Thank you for this evening for the spirit of unity in this room uh, and the hearts that you have made alive by your spirit and the word of Christ. Amen.
All right, you're dismissed.